Welcome to Get Your Goat. This is Josh. What a show we have in store. A lot of NFL to get into. Dak's New Deal. Decisions on teams franchise tagging players. What that means for a team. Players. What will go down in the future with that. NBA. College basketball tournaments. Some wrapping up. Some just starting. My top five in the NHL. Even other award show nominations to get into. A lot in store for this Wednesday. So let's get right into it. Starting with the biggest news that dropped Monday night uh, was Dak's new deal. Dak Prescott signing a four-year, $160 million deal to stay with the Dallas Cowboys. Insanely, insanely rich when you look at all the numbers of this deal as he is getting paid more up front than the great Patrick Mahomes. Uh, this is more money, more up front, more guaranteed. $75 million in the first year alone. $75, million, $66 million signing bonus. $95 million full guarantee. $126 million in the first three years, which is insane. So over the next four years, since he is getting more money than Mahomes, he's, he'll be getting 160 if he plays the full length of that contract. Mahomes will just be having 140 So the next four years, he is getting $20 million more million than Patrick Mahomes. They took a huge gamble here. The Dallas Cowboys with Dak Prescott. Yes, he has been good. He's just been good, though. He's not been great. He's not been the guy to take them to the promised land, to a Super Bowl, to a championship game. Yes, he his uh, year, he led them to the 13-3 and record divisional round, lost in the first round of playoffs. I think one playoff win against the Seahawks in his resume. But... He has not stepped up the year before this year when he got injured. Uh, he did not deliver and play well against good teams. And this just straps the Dallas Cowboys to Dak Prescott, to Ezekiel Elliott, to Amari Cooper. They don't fix the old line that was once so great. And now they don't have a lot of money left over to fix that terrible defense uh, that was so bad this past year and will probably be just as bad going into this next year. Uh, Dak Prescott played the Cowboys with this deal. Definitely won getting so much money up front. Uh, it helps the Cowboys with him getting so much money up front uh, to where you know they can allocate, allocate future money in a few years. But this is a lot of money. The Dallas Cowboys is tied up to the core of this team. You know, that you know, have made Pro Bowls, been good players, but they haven't been the Patrick Mahomes, the Travis Kelsey, the Tyree Kill, Chris Jones to take them over the edge and be worth paying them this much money. The Chiefs signed uh Patrick Mahomes to a you know that ludicrous deal that was, you know, ten years, five hundred million around there. Uh but you know it was kinda, you know, equally out 
equals out over the course of the 10 years. Yes, there's a lot of money up front, but it kind of equals out, especially helps the Chiefs, you know, not with some money up front so they could play other players around him. But with Dak getting this much money up front, this definitely hurts the Cowboys and their chances to, you what was just, you know, an 8-8 eight and eight team with Dak, you know, 9-7, and seven, you know, you catch a couple of bad breaks, maybe this time, you know, the breaks go your way. Uh, maybe they go 10-6, and 11-5. I definitely see them winning the division, uh, as I've said before, in a weak NFC East. But I don't expect anything great from the Cowboys. I don't expect a Super Bowl win. I don't expect a Super Bowl appearance. And I do not expect an NFC Conference Championship game appearance. Because for the next four years, you're still going to have Aaron Rodgers in the NFC uh, next year or two, you're still going to have Tom Brady in the NFC. You know, Saints could still be formidable. Uh, NFC West is stacked. Uh, Russell Wilson, Matthew Stafford, Kyler Murray, the 49ers team, their defense, they're all really good. So, no. People saying, you know, that Dak Prescott deserves this and now he's happy. It's all good. It's good that he's happy. Good that he got paid. But don't expect the Super Bowl people that are saying, you know, they expect him to be a Super Bowl champion, have a couple Super Bowl appearances within this four-year contract. Stop it. Stop it. It's not happening. It's not. Uh, And I'd be happy to be wrong about that one, but I bet a lot against Dak Prescott and the Cowboys going anywhere. That's that. Moving along in the NFL, Buccaneers have chosen to franchise tag Chris Godwin. Their one franchise tag, they chose on him. It kind of was a coin up, coin toss between him or Shaq Barrett, but they chose to franchise tag him. I think around one year, $16 million. Then they extended Levante David, one of their, their star linebacker, a two-year $25 million. So they're keeping some of their core pieces intact, which is good. Uh, Chris Godwin was hampered by injuries last year, didn't play a full 16, uh, but he was very good, a great route runner, uh, had a great rapport with Tom Brady. And keeping him is great because it just unlocks his offense so much more with Mike Evans on the other side, uh, Scotty Miller in the slot. So this was definitely money well spent for a team that wants to compete, wants to win again with Tom Brady as a quarterback. Same with Levante David. Having the two-man wrecking crew in the inside with Devin White and Levante David. A very smart move. But what does this mean for Shaq Barrett? You know, with money getting allocated elsewhere, uh, it was smart not to franchise the same player again as the Bucks used a franchise tag on Shaq Barrett last year. Uh, he would have definitely had a pay increase uh, because of the franchise tag rules. But this means with the money the Bucks have left, they could either use it all to re-sign Shaq Barrett, which means Shaq Barrett would get you know, probably a longer-term contract, which is good for him, and I think good for the Bucks if they can find a sweet spot. Uh, definitely, I don't think they'll overpay him because they don't have the money to overpay him. But if they don't sign him, 
uh, Shaq Barrett will still get paid on the open market as a younger, you know, 27, 28 years old, and who has racked up quite a few sacks the last few seasons and was dominant in the postseason against Aaron Rodgers, against Patrick Mahomes. So teams will definitely want him. That would be a huge loss for Tampa Bay, having, you know, the edge rushers on both sides with Shaq Barrett and JPP. But I think that the Bucks, uh, either through the draft or free agency, they could find a competent piece, but definitely not as good as Shaq Barrett has been. Then Kenny Galladay was not tagged by the Detroit Lions, which I expected. Did not expect him to get franchise tagged. They could not even work out a long-term deal with him. So a great Lions wide receiver will now be leaving Detroit. As I've been saying, it looks like they're going to overhaul their receiving corps. Uh, Marvin Jones, Danny Amendola, Kenny Galladay no longer be there with the new front office, new coaching staff. It looks like he'll, he will be going elsewhere. Yes, he did not play a lot last year, uh, injuries, but in what he has played and has been a consistently good player, uh, touchdown passes, double teams. He's just a big, long wide receiver who can catch 50-50 balls and I think has another gear in him. Uh, Megatron-esque type of gear you know, where he will require double team after double team because he racks down touchdown catches. Uh, he is a red zone threat. He is a great all-around wide receiver, good route running, decent speed, a very, very good player. And whoever signs Kenny Galladay will be huge, and this just hurts the Detroit Lions. But as it's looking as it is in the case of a rebuild, it doesn't really matter to the Detroit Lions at all. Next, the Bears franchise tagged Allen Robinson. Uh, he is a s- tremendous wide receiver for the Chicago Bears. Uh, to me, he's a reason, part of a reason why Mitch Trubisky, Nick Foles were so good last year uh, because they could throw it up to Allen Robinson and he made a lot of ridiculous catches because he was so good. So if Mitch Trubisky, Nick Foles stick around, whatever happens, they'll have him. But if the Bears decide to make a splash for a Russell Wilson or get another quarterback, they at least have a top-tier wide receiver in Allen Robinson. Yes, it's disappointing that they cannot get a long-term deal done, especially for Allen Robinson, but I don't see any drop-off in his game at all. Uh, you know, you have those players, you know, DeAndre Hopkins playing for Matt Schaub and, you know, Brock Osweiler and other bad quarterbacks and still coming up with great catches because he's just a great, great wide receiver. Same thing can be said, I think, with Allen Robinson. Not the best of quarterbacks he has had, but he has put up tremendous numbers. I would love to see him paired with a good quarterback to unlock his potential even further. The Seahawks also did not franchise tag anybody yesterday. Uh, they forgo, they, for, they forwent on Chris Carson, running back, and Shaquille Griffin, cornerback. 
uh, I thought was expected, especially Shaq Griffin, as he has been inconsistent uh, throughout his time in the league. You know, a couple games he looks great, a couple games he looks bad. One great season, uh, looks like one of the best cornerbacks. And then last year, he did not look good as with the rest of this defense mostly. So I saw that coming. I don't think that hurts the Seahawks as they got burned constantly on the outside. I wasn't surprised about Carson. I know Pete Carroll's high on Chris Carson. They can still work out a deal, even though I don't see that happening. I think Chris Carson wants to get paid more and views himself as an elite running back. I do not. Injuries and uh, inconsistency in his play, that offensive line that Seattle has, maybe I'd like to see him go to a different offensive line or a different team with a better offensive line. Uh, But I definitely don't think this hurts the Seahawks as there's other options out there uh, that are more better or at least competent than the players they chose not to franchise tag. The Green Bay Packers did not franchise tag Aaron Jones. Aaron Jones, to me, is one of the best running backs in the NFL. I definitely think he is top five, uh, top tier. He is great. He plays with Aaron Rodgers. Great offensive line. I was kind of surprised that they didn't tag him, but I think they hope to re-sign him, you know, probably to a three-, four-year deal. And that'd be great for the Packers. The Packers definitely want to re-sign Aaron Jones, keep all the great weapons they have now to keep on making run after run until Aaron Rodgers calls it quits. And Aaron Jones is one of the two key pieces needed for Aaron Rodgers. They have a great wide receiver in Devontae Adams in the outside uh, for Aaron Rodgers you know, to throw the ball, catch with, have that rapport with. But having Aaron Jones is just as huge. Having a guy get that can run the ball uh, down the hole, open up a play-action game, plays well in the screen game as well, uh, flipping out to Aaron Jones, definitely helpful for Aaron Rodgers to have the other Aaron back as well. I definitely will see and definitely think Green Bay will find a deal to re-sign Aaron Jones. If not, that is a major hole that needs to be filled. Uh, Jamal Williams they have back there, but he's more of you know just a third down kind of pass back kind of guy. They also have uh, A.J. Dillon, who did look really well in the snaps that he had, but was a rookie, so he just needs more experience, more game time. So we'll see how high they are on him compared to Aaron Jones. And then finally, we'll get to one last NFL team. And that is the Saints. They franchise tagged Marcus Williams. uh, But because of their crazy cap situation, they released Emmanuel Sanders. You know, to me, the Saints have good wide receivers. They have Michael Thomas, one of the best in the league. Uh, They have Traquan Smith, who's emerging. Harris, who's playing well. So they definitely have good wide receivers, have depth there. So to save cap space, I definitely saw either a trade or a uh, releasing of Emmanuel Sanders. Definitely definitely do not think this hurts the Saints at all. Uh, You know, their biggest concern is getting a quarterback if Drew Brees is for sure retiring. Who's going to be back there? Who's going to be throwing the ball to Michael Thomas? They already have a good offensive line. They have a great running back in Alvin Kamara. 
It's just finding the right quarterback. That is your main and biggest priority in having a great quarterback that can throw the ball downfield. That will help. And, you know, that need for Emmanuel Sanders, that kind of guy, will no longer be as needed with Drew Brees just throwing, you know, those kind of shorter routes, you know, fitted towards Emmanuel Sanders and Michael Thomas. Get a new quarterback in there and see if they can unleash new parts of the offense. Now, moving on to the NBA. NBA is back in action tonight uh, after the All-Star game break and All-Star break in the game. NBA is back tonight, two games. First game tonight is the Washington Wizards versus the Memphis Grizzlies. And I am rolling with the Washington Wizards. They are not favored in this game. The Grizzlies are favored, uh, and deservedly so. You know, they are a better, more balanced team, led by Ja Morant, uh, and he has been spectacular. Uh, their defense is much better than the Wizards, uh, but lately they've been inconsistent, whereas uh, Washington was kind of on a roll-beating the Clippers right before the break, Bradley Beal, all-star game. I think that rejuvenated him. He was playing so well. Uh, none of the other players on his team were selected to an all-star game. So I think he's definitely going to bring some of that fun that he had uh, back to Washington. And I see them getting a win tonight. Uh, they are a great offense. Not a great defense, but they make shots. They've been winning games. And I see Bradley Beal and Russell Westbrook winning this matchup tonight. Then you have the San Antonio Spurs and the Dallas Mavericks. Dallas is a home and they've been really, really good at home. And they've been really, really good as of late. 8-2 and two in their last 10 games. Uh, Luka Doncic is amazing, averaging 28 points per game. Uh, leading them in all mainly all statistical categories, assists, rebounds. I have the Mavericks winning this game again. Doncic in the All-Star game uh, and Team LeBron, he didn't play well, but just playing with other greats, great players, nobody else on his team made an All-Star game. Again, bringing that fun back to Dallas. I see him playing really well tonight, and the Dallas getting a key win over San Antonio, who's at just one spot Ahead of them in a very, very tight playoff race. I have the Mavericks getting it done. Another news, Joel Embiid has now overtaken LeBron as the favorite to win the MVP. And uh, it's been a close battle the whole season. But, you know, they give a slight edge to LeBron. Now with Embiid being the favorite, you know, I definitely uh, see and agree with it. Embiid's been playing well, and his team, more importantly, is playing well. Because uh, sometimes, you know, you're playing great, but you're on a bad team. Uh, that doesn't make the playoffs. It always doesn't get rewarded. Whereas LeBron, he's on a good team, great team, but his team is sliding as of recently without Anthony Davis, getting exposed more. Uh, so if he give it to, you know, the best player best team so far to me that's been Joel Embiid more consistent uh, 
than the LeBron James with Anthony Davis being out. Again, that points to how much more LeBron has to do, how much more increased his workload is, which to me should be taken into consideration because he is playing great. But to me, LeBron was playing greater last year than he was this year, especially from an eye test point of view. Shifting on from just a quick talk in NBA, now to college basketball. College basketball tournaments going underway, the conference tournaments. Uh, I was right about Gonzaga. I said Gonzaga was going to beat St. Mary's and end up winning it. Uh, However, it was very, very close the game yesterday against BYU. They were down by 12 at halftime, and, you know, they just charged back. Jalen Suggs was great offensively and defensively. And to me, you know, this game was tight back and forth. But then there was around, you know, six, seven minutes left to go. And the Gonzaga Gonzaga defense took over. Uh, They were playing half court, you know, their pressure on the ball right away, right from the BYU inbound, and try to trap them, uh, force them into 10-second violations even though it didn't happen, but with 10 seconds wasted, you're running off the court, exhausting a lot of energy. Gonzaga turned it on, made huge shots down the stretch, played great defense, and showed why they are the best team in the league and have the most complete team and are the number one overall seed, most likely for a reason. Mark Few coaches this team so great, uh... As they said, you know, they got punched in the face, and they did. Uh, looked ugly, looked like they were going to lose, but they pulled off a tough, gritty win, which is exactly what you want during this time, uh, playing in March, playing your conference tournament. This is your last test, your last tune-up before March Madness, before the tournament gets into effect, and Gonzaga definitely tuned up. They played great, they answered well, and they showed why they are a great team in their win yesterday. So congrats to Gonzaga, wrapping up an undefeated season, and now to win the national title, they have to further go undefeated. Another six games. Tonight, Iowa State plays Oklahoma in the Big 12 tournament. It's their first round. Oklahoma is reeling as of recently, lost four in a row. But luckily, they're playing Iowa State, who's 2-21, and who's lost 17 in a row. They're terrible. Uh, that Iowa State game they played, you know, about two weeks ago, it was a closer game. The end score was 66-56, but it was close with Oklahoma sliding as of recently. But I like Oklahoma in this game. I'm rolling with Oklahoma. I wouldn't be surprised if I see an Iowa State upset as these kind of tournaments are the ones that springboard the bigger upset matchups come the tournament next week. But I'm rolling with Oklahoma here. They have a better team. I have to give it to them. Uh, And then tomorrow starts other tournaments. uh, Big 10, uh, SEC. 
And you have other big matchups such as Oklahoma State and West Virginia, who just had a huge matchup this past Sunday when Oklahoma State won. The rematch here already in the quarterfinal is insane. Uh, I think that'll be a great game. I'm not picking that game after I lost that pick last time, but that'll be great. Uh, Texas Tech and Texas, both teams playing really well. Uh, Great rivals. Uh, Georgetown Villanova, uh, you can never, you know, Villanova played so well beginning of the year, but have been inconsistent as of late. So are we going to sleep on a Georgetown team? Uh, Who is Ohio State going to play? What are they going to look like tomorrow on their losing streak? Same with Kansas, they're looking hot. So there's a lot of matchups, a lot of storylines that start today and tomorrow for these bigger conference tournaments. It's exciting. Best, one of the best sports events now starts, and that's college tournaments, March Madness, for sure. Moving on to the NHL. I'm picking two games tonight, because uh, last time, you know, I picked a couple losers, picked the Golden Knights, and they lost to the Wild. Picked the Avalanche, and I said, you know what? I always pick the Coyotes. I do because I like the Coyotes. I like rooting for them. They're the home team. Uh, My home team, even though they're not my favorite team, they're my home team. And I said I'm picking the Avalanche because every time I pick the Coyotes, they lose. And guess what? I picked the Avalanche and the Coyotes won. I'm not picking that game tonight, but I hope for a Coyotes win against the Avalanche again. I will pick the Golden Knights again over the Wild. Uh, Is it needed for the Coyotes? And... You know, Marc-Andre Fleury has been playing so well this season. Last game, uh, Vegas just couldn't score. wasn't on Fleury's fault at all. It was on this offense not being able to get the job done. Uh, so I'm rolling with Vegas again. You know, I expect it to be close with the Wild playing well. And then I'm picking the Kings over the Ducks. Ducks just had a great win over the Kings in overtime. Uh, but with the Kings being a little better, Definitely have the Kings. And then yesterday, my Pittsburgh Penguins beat the Rangers again. Back-to-back wins over Rangers. Three wins in a row. Go Pens, go. This is awesome. This is exciting. This is a Pens team I want to see. Tristan Jari has been amazing. As I said in like my earlier first podcast, how uh, shaky he was. Didn't have faith in Jari. He is now playing lights out. Fantastic hockey. Jari is playing now solidified his spot in the net starting. He's played great. Kapanen on the same line with Malkin. Reaping huge benefits for both of them. Malkin looks great. Kapanen looks great. They're feeding off each other. The shift that they had yesterday... At the end of the second period with Rodriguez, Malkin, and Kapanen was one of the greatest shifts and just so dominant. Uh, the puck possession, the passing between them all, finishing with a great goal by Kapanen. All was outstanding. Jake Gensel, that top line with Crosby. Uh, Teddy Bluger in the third line with Tanev, shorthanded. They are just playing really well. To me, their first three lines is amazing. It's kind of just that fourth line. Can they get production, defensive stops? What can they rely the fourth line on 
to kind of take that edge off of those first three lines. With Dumoulin back, Latang is returning to his amazing kind of Norris Trophy-ish form, which is great. Four of a pens. Uh, I'm so happy the Penguins are playing so well. Uh, just, you know, days ago they were in fifth in the division, uh, looking sketchy with the Rangers playing hot. You know, now they are in third place, a point ahead of Boston, two points ahead of Philly, right in there with Washington and the Islanders with a good stretch of games up against the Sabres and the Devils who they've not played with. So that if they can take advantage of those games, that would be huge for my Pittsburgh paying ones. This is exciting stuff. Now, I will tell you my top five NHL teams. Who are the top five? Let's bring them in. Number five is the New York Islanders. Yes, the New York Islanders are playing really, really hot right now. They have won six in a row. Uh, playing good teams, uh, the Penguins, the Bruins, uh, playing really well. Matt Barzal against the Sabres, uh, goal of the year candidate to me. It's like, you know, Oshie had that one, and finally it got put on the back burner to a goal like Matt Barzal, who is just playing tremendously because of him. Uh, we think of him as a defensive-oriented team. Their defense is still good, but they're unlocking their offense. That's why they are number one in a stacked, tough East Division with 36 points, playing so well at home, scoring goals, uh, good goaltending. That's the reason why they are number five. Number four, the Vegas Golden Knights, Max Pacioretty, is playing great. Uh, you know, sometimes you have that age number in your mind. Are they slowing down? You know, you talk about uh, Crosby at 33 slowing down. Max Pacioretty at that, around that same age, 32, 33. Will he slow down? But so far, he's shown no signs of that. He's playing great. Uh, they had won four of their past five, just dropping that game the other night to the Minnesota Wild. But they've been dominant in their division, uh, which is why they are number one. Again, strong at home, uh, scoring a lot of goals, great differential, and a great goaltender in Marc-Andre Fleury, uh, who is, to me so far, the goaltender of the year, and deservedly so, you know, at like 35 years old. So it's amazing to see Marc-Andre Fleury play so well. Number three, the Carolina Hurricanes, another team who is very, very hot right now. Guess what? Another good home team, even with limited fans in attendance. Vincent Trocek playing out of his mind. A seven-game win streak for them. Another great point goal differential. They are playing outstanding 
tied for the most wins in the NHL, uh, right behind the Lightning there in the division. They've played well, beat good teams. Carolina Hurricanes is a team to watch out for. They're playing great. Number two is the Toronto Maple Leafs, and I had a hard time uh, you know, with this and then my number one that I will review here shortly. But Toronto, on the eve of a three-game losing streak, you know, I had to put them at two. Even though Mitch Mardner, Austin Matthews, playing so well, uh, that mcdavid Dreisaitl esque type scoring duo that they are, still leading their division, got the better of the Edmonton Oilers for that. I still respect them. But that three-game losing streak uh, looms large. Looks like their defense is improving. Will that stay the case for the Toronto Maple Leafs? Then, my number one team is the Tampa Bay Lightning. I hate to say it. I do. Don't like the Lightning, but I have to give it to them. Andre Palat is playing really well. A really balanced team. They've won four of their past five. They're number one in the league. They're great at home. Uh, they have the best goal differential at plus 36, which is insane. Insane, insane, insane that a team is that good, scores so many goals, and doesn't allow that many. And they are playing really, really well and have beat the teams that are behind them, you know, Carolina, the Blackhawks. They are playing well. This whole team, Steven Stamkos, Andre Vasilevsky, their depth kind of unmatched right now in the league. They're playing great. So there you have it. That is my top five NHL teams. Number five, New York Islanders. Number four, Vegas Golden Knights. Number three, Carolina Hurricanes. Number two, Toronto Maple Leafs. And number one, the Tampa Bay Lightning. That's my top five right now. And speaking of the NHL as well, there is just some massive agreement between the NHL and ESPN. I think regarding games like a seven-year deal or contract to where, you know, games will be exclusively played on ESPN, ESPN Plus, on Hulu, on all that. So that's very exciting, especially with NBC Sports kind of leaving and no longer being a thing after this year, uh, having that to watch games uh, also on ABC is great for uh, NHL, for viewership. Uh, Is it just always going to be advertised now? Hockey is back. More mainstream now, which is always better for sports. So I love it. Now, moving on to some stocks. Insane, insane, insane day today. For the main, the best, the GME, the GameStop, GameStonks. Opened at 269 today. 
went to 348 and had the drop-off of drop-off sell right off a cliff right around to 280, then fell off again to 240, then again to like 172 before it jumped right back up, you know, to 240, then it jumped up again to 260 and kind of hovered around the 260 spot the rest of the day. An insane stock. Same with Tesla. Shot up high to 717. Then went all the way down back to the 660s. Uh, Roblox's IPO was today. Strong IPO. Closed at 69. Cost another meme stock. Jumped all the way up to $40. That was insane. Same with Express. Kind of doubled your money there. So the stock's... We're making moves today with the market up. A lot of green. A lot of green for sure. Now, time to get on to some award nominations. Monday, I believe it was, or yesterday, uh, the BAFTA nominations were announced. Uh, I think that's the British Academy Film TV Association uh, or tel- film and television arts, my bad. Uh, crazy announcements. Uh, a lot of snubs, a lot of surprises. Uh, to me, best film. Everything there, you know, was sort of uh, on par with, you know, The Father, Nomadland, Promising Woman, Child of Shadow 7. Nothing crazy there. Outstanding British film, of course. This is the British Film Awards. So, there's me some movies I didn't even know about, which I signed with. You know, director uh, was another one I was very surprised of. Kind of cemented Chloe Zhao for Nomadland as the automatic winner. As she's kind of the only nominee there. Uh, No Aaron Sorkin. No David Fincher. No Emerald Fennell. It was by kind of Chloe Zhao. But then also Lee Isaac Chung for Minari. But I don't foresee that winning original screenplay. You know, Promising Young Woman, Trial of Chicago 7, The Mainstays in there. Adapted Screenplay, Chloe Zhao for Nomadland. Leading Actor, looks like it's Chadwick still, but he, you know, that one stayed similar with Riz Ahmed. You know, Anthony Hopkins, even though Gary Oldman, very surprising that he was not in that list. Uh, leading Actress, another huge one. You know, you had Vanessa Kirby for Pieces of a Woman, Francis McDormand for Nomadland. But no Carrie Mulligan. No Carrie Mulligan for Promising a Woman. She's British. Come on, this is the British Film Awards. You're not going to give her a nomination? Uh, one of the best performances? Just won a Critics' Choice Awards? You're not going to give that to her? Not Carrie? Wow. Not even Viola Davis for her physical transformation in Mars Rainey, Black Bottom? Not that either? Snubs, surprise, leading actress, can't believe it. Supporting actress, looks like it's Maria Bakalova for Borat. Looks like she's the one. Uh, No Olivia Colman? No Glenn Close? Maybe the grandma Yoo Jung Yoon for Minari? But it looks like Borat, Maria, is getting that one uh, just from the initial looks of it. Supporting actor, uh, Daniel Kaluuya 
for Judas and the Black Messiah, it looks like you know he's just sweeping that. I have to rely on a one sweep. Uh, so that was very surprising. Carrie Mulligan not getting nominated. What the heck? What does what does someone have to do? What is going on? When you had the Directors Guild nominations same day as the BAFTAs, uh, really outstanding director. This is kind of the you know winner gets this. You know, uh, I think Boon Jung Ho got actually already tied with Sam Mendes last year for 1917, so it gets pretty close. Uh, Chloe Zhao, Nomadland, Aaron Sorkin, Trial, David Fincher, Mink, Emerald Fennel, Promising Young Woman, Lee Isaac Chung Minari. Usually it's four of the five make it. One gets uh, ousted. So it could be any of them. Uh, I think it could be Lee Isaac Chung for Minari. Will they put another woman like Regina King in the mix? Will they go with one of those crazy BAFTA nominations? Put them in the mix. Oh, well, you know, will they snub Emerald Fennel? Uh, what will happen there? Uh, but I think Chloe Zhao's got it in the bag as she's just the most consistent and most dominant in that category yet. And then you also have the PGA, which is the Producer Guild Awards. Uh, Borat up there, Judas and the Black Messiah, Marini's Black Bottom, Mink, Minari, Nomadland, One Night in Miami, Promising Young Woman, Sound of Metal, and Trial of the Chicago 7. You know, will that be part of the 10 that is up for it come Oscar time for best motion picture? Definitely believe all these nominees could do it. Uh, most surprising would be Borat in that kind of atmosphere in an Oscar. But with uh, Maria Bakalova performing so well and giving that a lot of critical appraisal for her role. Definitely see it happen, but then you also have those mainstays uh, such as Nomadland, uh, Promising a Woman Trial, you know, which they say trial could sneak up on Nomadland. That remains to be seen. I'd like it to win some other awards if that is to be true. You know, as Promising Young Woman took the Critics' Choice screenplay from trial. So we'll see how that goes. What happens in the WGAs uh, for writing. But this definitely is... An insane award show season. Uh, nothing. Oh, you have a few to me that are kind of locked into place with picture and director and supporting actor. But nothing compared to last year where there was like a, basically a clean sweep across the board when you had Brad Pitt for supporting actor. Uh, you had Renee Zellweger uh, for best actress. You had Laura Dern for Best Supporting Actress and uh, Joaquin Phoenix for Best Actor. Those swept everything. Uh, Really no hype going into the awards. Uh, Really the only uh, monumental decision there was, was was it going to be 1917 or was it going to be Parasite? That was the biggest thing. Uh, But now this award season has flipped. Whereas, you know, Chloe Zhao and Nomadland kind of have that those bigger ones locked down. What will be these actor-actress type race wins come Oscar time? Because there is a lot of craziness. People not even being nominated. Surprise winners. Uh, it's insane. 
But guess what? There's still like seven weeks to go, six weeks to go in the award show season. More nominations to be announced, more winners to be announced. See if there'll be any more clarification at all, or if it just remains unclarified and ultimate wait on your seat kind of moment, which is good and bad, uh, but definitely, definitely suspenseful. That's what I have on that. Now, time for the final get your goat take. And I kind of had a tough time, you know, uh, coming up with like a take for today. But I saw this one trade proposal today for Russell Wilson that I think Jason Barnwell, a writer for ESPN, he was kind of coming up with all these things for Russell Wilson. So I'll go off on that. Number one, he said, was Seahawks get quarterback Tua Tagovailoa, their first round draft pick and their, I think, third round draft pick this year? A 2022 for Russell. That's terrible. Uh, for Russell, really, uh, a first-round pick next year uh, that will probably be high in the 20, 20 rounds area. Uh, third-round pick this year, which is decent, number 18. You can't even throw in their number three pick for Russell. Tua is not a proven quarterback in the NFL level, you know, as Kyler was when he came in. Tua is not that guy. Get out of here with that terrible deal. That's not good. Then there was this one. Seahawks would get Marcus Mariota, not a good quarterback. Darren Waller, great tight end, 17 overall pick this year. Good first-round pick, first-round pick. Uh, defensive end Chase Winovich, he's just a role player. A third-round pick from the Patriots. Uh, I don't think they want to do deals with the Patriots. The Raiders would get Russell Wilson, a pick from them. Patriots get quarterback Derek Carr. Uh Definitely don't see this working out for the Patriots. I don't think they want to send out him. Don't want to receive Derek Carr. Uh, This was a bad trade all around and no fits at all for any of the players. This one here to me was the most intriguing. It was the Seahawks and the Panthers. Seahawks would get uh, edge rusher Brian Burns, uh, who is actually really, really good. He's a stud. Quarterback Teddy Bridgewater. Not a good quarterback. And then they get the number eight pick this year. First round pick next year. First round pick year after that. Definitely need three first round picks. That's good. Brian Burns. Amazing, amazing player. Helped out the defense tremendously. Have a number eight overall pick this year. Uh, either draft a quarterback if you don't like Teddy Bridgewater. Uh, which is funny that his name is Bridgewater because he's the ultimate bridge quarterback. Not the real deal, but just kind of that guy to get them and hold them in steady until they get a real deal quarterback. Then there was, to me, the most outrageous, uh, which was offer number four, Seahawks getting QB Sam Darnold. Pathetic. Edge rusher Bradley Chubb from the Broncos. Great. But then just two first-round picks, one this year from the Broncos, number nine, and a first-round pick next year. Whereas the Broncos get Russell Wilson and a third from the Seahawks. Don't think for giving up that. They get something from the Bears. Bears get Drew Locke from the Broncos. 
and the Jets get another third-round pick from the Seahawks. A lot of trade, a lot of draft pick capital getting moved around here. Not happening for all teams. Uh, Sam Darnold, to me, is not even a bridge quarterback at all for Seattle. He's not that kind of guy. Uh, to me, these mock trades are terrible. At least come up with good, competent ones that work on both sides that are intriguing. Not terrible ones, uh, you know, that wrap your head around like nobody would ever make that deal unless you're kind of a Texans organization ever. Please don't spread that kind of lie and mispropaganda around here at all. Uh, so that's all I have to say about that. That's how I will end the Get Your Goat take. Uh, if it's with Russell Wilson, make it a good deal. Make it relevant. Don't give me trash. That's all I have to say. But other than that, I kind of like Bill Barnwell and the stuff he usually writes. Bye, everybody.